We are in part three of the altar, and what we've been doing is looking at stories throughout the scripture that talk about an altar. There are great stories about altars. And the way I introduced it is this. When you think about altar these days, you, most people would think, an altar? What's an altar? You might think, well, I grew, I grew up at a church where we would come to the front of the church at the end, and the pastor would give an altar call, and we would come up to the altar, and that's what you think of. Or maybe you thought of when you got married, and you went to the altar, and you exchanged vows, and you committed to one another. Well, this is the idea of an altar, and we see it throughout Scripture. God sets up these times where there is a story of somebody coming to an altar, and the, and the first week was um, Elijah and the prophets of Baal, where they each set up an altar. Elijah, who was worshiping God, and the prophets of Baal, who were all worshiping false gods and idol worship and evil and wickedness. And Elijah said, we're each going to build an altar, we're each going to put a sacrifice on there, and the God who consumes that sacrifice with fire, we're going to know that's the real God. Last week, we talked, told the story of Abraham and Isaac, where week one was an altar of commitment, where Elijah said, quit wavering, commit to God. Abraham and Isaac was an altar of sacrifice, where God asked Abraham to take his son, Isaac, and sacrifice him on the altar to him. And God came through at the end and provided another sacrifice. It's a great story found in Genesis. But the point of that story, the point of that story was this. God sometimes asks us to build an altar of sacrifice where we offer something to him. So there's times of commitment and dedication to God. There's times of sacrifice and giving something to God. And this week in part three of the altar, what we're going to talk about this, this week is this, that sometimes God asks us to build an altar of remembrance, an altar where we can remember something that God has done. And this story is found in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 4. If you want to follow along, there should be some black hardcover Bibles in all the pews there if you want to grab one and follow along. It's near the beginning of the Bible, um, and the words will be up on the screen when we get to that. But if you want to follow along in a Bible, I invite you to do that, Joshua chapter 4. And we'll get there in just a second. But to start out, we had the Super Bowl here last week. And it was kind of Minnesota on display um, for the world to see. It was funny. It was great. I thought Minnesota did a great job. It was super cold. And I thought we did a great job of saying, you know what? We're Minnesotans. We can go outside and enjoy the weather even when it's, you know, eight degrees outside. I think most of the people that were doing that leading up to the Super Bowl never go outside at all. But they said, the world's watching. We got to brave it. We got to go, you know, outdoor concerts and festivals and all these things happening. I thought it was really, really great to see our city and our state on display really for the world to watch. My parents live in, in Africa. They are missionaries in Zambia. And so Monday morning, he, he emailed and just said, hey, your city looked great on, on TV. He was watching it online. And, and so it was really interesting to see our city and our neighborhoods on display for the world. But one thing that stood out to me, I think everyone was a little nervous. We were also obviously disappointed that the Vikings didn't make it. Um, if you're a Vikings fan, certainly. And we were a little annoyed that the Eagles fans, because we got smoked by the Eagles. That's just, I'm, I'm just, it's fine. Eagles fans are fine. We have a couple up here who are sitting by the trophy, ironically. You're, you're used to it. Um, you, you, you came in and said, well, we're Eagles fans. Here's a trophy. This must be our seat. <laughs> um, for those listening online, the trophy is for our scripture memory challenge. Um, uh, but it was funny to see the Eagles fans. We were a little nervous about Eagles fans. We were like, oh, I heard a rumor that there was Uber drivers that were going to, you know, pick up Eagles fans and take them to the wrong locations just to rub it in, you know, or not to rub it in, just to get back for all the, all the shame that we felt from them defeating us the week before. But I saw one picture. There was an article. I think I read it Monday morning or maybe Tuesday. There was one Philadelphia Eagles fan 
that he was so excited about the game and the result, he was at the game, that what he did was he tore out the seat from US Bank Stadium, the purple plastic seat. He ripped it out and, and there was, he smuggled it onto the airplane and took it home. And I thought that was very interesting. First of all, how did he, you know, I, I know that you could probably rip those seats out, especially if you're like eight drinks in, as most football fans in the stadium probably were. But I was like, where's security? Like, how do you carry a chair out of something? If you pick up a pew from church today and say, this service was so great, I got to take this home as a souvenir, we're probably going to stop you. But this guy, there was a picture. Somebody snapped a picture. I think it was at the airport. He had his carry-on bag, and then the seat was kind of folded over his suitcase, and then there was a, a coat on top of it. Like, how did this guy get this seat home? But apparently he thought, this experience was so great. My team won. I want something to remember how I felt every day. So he thought, I'm going to take a chair home with me. And he's going to have this broken purple plastic chair in his house. Now he's going to get home and his wife is going to say, what in the world? We are not putting that up anywhere. Maybe we can stick it you know, in the storage room or in the garage. And the husband is going to think, no, 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 this is going on the mantle. This is going above the fireplace. We're going to look at that because he wanted something. He wanted a souvenir to remember. He said, every time I look at this chair, he thought, I want to remember how I felt in that moment when my team won. And I want to, you know, he'll look at that chair and he'll be able to remember the sounds and the sights and how it felt to have his team win. And that, maybe you have something in your life like that. If the Vikings ever to, were to win the Super Bowl, maybe we could experience something like that. But other than football, I want to ask you this. Do you have something in your life, maybe it's in your house, that's like a souvenir of something? We all collect souvenirs. Maybe it's from a vacation that you took or something that you went through, an experience you went through, something you went through with your kids. And we keep it because we want to have these little tokens to remember it. And certain things like that, maybe it's, um, maybe it's a song that you hear. And every time you hear a song, you go back to a certain event in your life and you can remember where you were. Maybe it was a vacation and you can smell the salty ocean and you, know, all the, you can hear the music and it was something like that. There's souvenirs that we have that just bring us back. And we can remember what it was like to be there, what we felt. Um, we all have things like that. And so it might be a chair from a football stadium. It might be a song. It might be something, a smell, a sound, something that just takes you back. Um, I was thinking about this this week. There's certain things in, in my world. We have a, um, a spot in our ceiling above the kitchen table. It's kind of a red spot. And that was from a story where way back a few years ago, we were discussing at dinner, I think it might have been Valentine's Day or something, we had jello, we had red jello. And the kids said, I, I wonder if the jello will stick to the ceiling. And I said, as a good parent would do, I said, well, there's only one way to find out. So we grabbed some jello and we threw it up and it sticks good. And, it, and so there was a little red spot that remained there and we thought, we tried to scrub it off a bit and it's still there. And I said, well, we could paint over it. But we left it there because that's a great story. And someday when we sell our house, the people are going to be like, why would they not clean that ceiling? But for us, it was, uh, we can always remember that story. Um, certain things like that. Maybe for me, I've got like scars. I've got a scar on my chin and whenever I see that, I can think of the day I was running down the stairs in the backyard at my house in Toronto, Ontario and tripped and landed on my chin. And, you know, I remember running inside trying to, you know, I remember the day. It's a vivid memory. And I think of that every time I see that scar. Maybe you have something like that. Well, this is the idea that God set up in this story in Joshua. He wanted us to have souvenirs. He wanted us to set up altars where we could look back and we could remember what he did. 
the altar of remembrance. So this happens in Joshua chapter 4. And this is when the Israelites, as a nation, if you know the story, they had been wandering in the wilderness, in the desert, for 40 years. You know, God delivered them through the Red Sea and into the wilderness, and they were going to go into the promised land. But then there was those who doubted. They said, you know what, I don't believe that God is going to provide this promised land. And because of their lack of faith, God said, okay, you're going to wander into the wilderness until all you doubters have died off, and then the next generation is going to come up, and I'm going to lead them into the promised land, those with faith. And so after 40 years of wandering in the desert, in the wilderness, God finally says to Joshua, get the people ready. We're going into the promised land. This is it. This is the moment. You have been promised for generations that God is going to make you into a great nation. And now is the time where you get to go into the land where you will be at home. You'll no longer be slaves. You'll no longer be wandering in the wilderness. This is your land. And we're going to go in there and make you a nation in this land. This is what happens in Joshua chapter 3. They cross over the Jordan River where the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant. And as soon as they step into the water, the water stops flowing in the Jordan River. And the nation is able to walk through and into the other side where the promised land was, the nation was. And this is a great, great moment. And God says, I want you to remember this moment. I want you to remember what it was like to be delivered into the promised land. And so that is where we pick up the story in Joshua chapter 4. The Israelites have just crossed the Jordan River into the promised land, into the land that God gave them. And here's what it says in Joshua chapter 4, starting at verse 1. We're going to read verse 1 through 7. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe. There was twelve tribes of Israel. And tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men, He had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord. So they've already crossed the river, and the priests are still in the middle of the river holding the ark. So Joshua says, go back over into the river, go over to before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? And tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan, and the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. These are God's instructions to the Israelites on this great moment. This is like a key moment for the nation of Israel. He says, I want you to build something so that you'll be able to look back and remember what happened. Build an altar, a memorial, something that's going to stand as a reminder of God's miraculous provision and deliverance. And we see this happen throughout Scripture. If you read story after story after story, God says, okay, here's a key moment. I want you to build an altar. I want you to have something that you'll remember this day. And he does this throughout. And why does God do this? Why does God do this? Because he wants his people, even generations down the road, to remember his faithfulness. 
This was a new generation that hadn't experienced crossing the Red Sea. This was a new generation that hadn't seen all the things that God had done in the past. They weren't around when God delivered them out of Egypt, out of slavery, walked through the Red Sea. This was a whole new generation, and he wanted to have their own moment where they would see God move miraculously and then set up an altar so they could remember his faithfulness. This was what he wanted to do. And God knew, as he knows with us, that this moment, you know, we all have these like great triumphant God moments, but God knew it wasn't going to be like that every day. God knew there was going to be times in the future where the Israelites would waver and wander, where their hearts would be torn between idol worship and worshiping God, where there would be areas of sin and compromise, or areas where they were facing a battle and they wouldn't know what to do. God knew there was difficult days ahead, and so he wanted them to set up an altar where they would remember, look, I remember in the past, look at those stones, those 12 stones that we set up. Remember what it was like when God brought us through the Jordan River? He wanted them to have moments where they could look back and say, Remember when God was faithful there? He's going to be faithful again. That is why God wanted them to set up that altar. And we know that the Israelites very soon after this would start complaining, and they would start questioning God, and then they would be able to look back at that altar and remember. So for us today, this story, this altar that God had his people set up, I want us to um, think about that and maybe think about your own life and maybe some things that you could have and set up as altars, as times where you remember how God was faithful. Maybe it's certain things that you could say that, yeah, I have this in my, maybe you already have that. Maybe you already have something in your house, and you say, yeah, I remember that story. I remember we were really struggling, and we saw God provide this way. Um, I want to encourage you to set up altars in your life of remembrance. Set up things. It could be a souvenir. It could be something, but maybe it's something that you write down. But just to have times where you remember what God did in the past so that in times when it seems hopeless in the future, you can look back and you can say, I know what God was faithful then. He's going to be faithful again. So I brought some examples today. We're going to talk about this idea of setting up altars of remembrance. And so I have a few examples that I brought from our house of things that we have um, in our house that, are, that serve as altars of remembrance. So I have a couple here. Each one has a story. And uh, so first thing I have, I have, a, I have a book and I have a Beanie Baby, all right? And so you're going to wonder, okay, what in the world? They, ha- they make sense, all right? So I have a book and I have a purple Beanie Baby. Now, the book is one of several journals that I have. Now, I journal somewhat regularly. Christy actually journals way more regularly than me. She's got like shelves of old journals. But what I want to do is every once in a while, I'm going to write in here, and this is usually when I'm reading my Bible or praying and having a devotion time. I have this with me, and sometimes it's a thought that I'll read through a scripture and I'll be writing down something that I feel God is speaking to me. But there are times when it's more like, here's what's going on in our life. We're facing this struggle right now. When we planted the church, I can look back and see the months leading up to planting this church. Here's what we're working on. Here's the needs that we have. We're not sure if this is going to work out, this or this or this. And then I can look back at those times and I could say, look at how God came through every one of those times. Times when we were struggling with something with our family, with our kids. I can look back at this book or other previous journals and I can read through it and I can say, I remember we did not know where our next paycheck was coming from during these months. And I can read my prayer. I write down my prayers in there. And my prayers then are, God, I have no idea how we're going to provide, how I'm going to provide for my family through this time. And I can look back and I can read that and I can remember what it was like to feel that. 
And I can see in the days and months after that where God came through. These serve as altars of remembrance. If you don't have a, a time or a journal like that where you write down what you're going through, I encourage you to do that. Spend some time praying and then write something down and put the date on it so that months and years down the road, you can pick that up and you can say, look it. I remember I was so worried then, but look at what God has done. You can look back and see God was so faithful. So the next time you come to a moment and say, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how God's going to deliver me through this. You can have these altars of remembrance and say, yeah, but he is good. He is faithful because I've seen it time and time again. Second one is this little purple beanie baby. Now, anyone in the Kerr family knows what this is. The story around this beanie baby, it's not very big, was our son Charlie, and I've told this story maybe a couple of times. Our son Charlie was born premature. He was born 12 weeks early. He was about two and a half pounds when he was born. So we've got lots of pictures of him at the NICU at Children's Hospital. He spent a um, total of 10 weeks in the hospital. And the first couple of weeks were really, really scary. And there were times, and so what happened was, I don't even know who bought this. Papa bought this? Did you buy this? Um, and we, we were allowed to, you know, everyone at the NICU at Children's Hospital is concerned about germs, obviously, but they allowed us, since this was just purchased, they said, okay, you can put this in the little the isolate the, where Charlie was. You know, it's those little kind of in, all enclosed things where it's got the little holes you can reach in. And um, So Charlie, and we have pictures of Charlie as a baby at 12 weeks premature, about two pounds when he was really sick. He wasn't much bigger than this beanie baby. And we've got pictures where this beanie baby is right beside him, and they're not that far apart in size. So this is a very special thing to the Kerr family. And I remember that first week um, where it did not look like Charlie was going to make it. And there was lots of prayers. And I can look back at journals, and there was lots of moments where we said, God, we don't know how this is going to work out. Not only do we not know if Charlie is going to survive, but we don't know what kind of lingering health complications are going to happen. And so all the prayers went up, and I think of that every time I see this little beanie baby because I see this, and I remember, and I look at Charlie now, who's up in the tech booth right now. He's substantially bigger than this beanie baby right now as a 16-year-old. As a and I see that, and I said, wow, God was faithful. God was faithful. He healed our son. God was faithful. And I love being able to see that look back. Anytime I think this, we actually keep this in Charlie's room. It's on a little bookshelf in there. Anytime I think, God, are you able to come through in this situation? We're facing something now, God. Are you able to come through in this situation? Every time I see that, I think we had a son who was this big, and we didn't know if he was going to survive. And now he's a 16-year-old, and he is doing perfectly well. And I think this purple beanie baby means God is able. We sang that song today. God is able. Look at what he has done. Something simple like that, like a book or a beanie baby. Um, I, I do that with a wedding ring. If you have a wedding ring, we can see that as a symbol of remembrance. And I look at that and I can think, I remember the day when Christy put this on my finger. I remember what it was like to stand there, all the emotions I was feeling, excitement and nervousness and, and all these things. And I can remember and on a day, maybe there's a day where we're having a tough time in our marriage and this ring reminds me, yeah, we shared vows. We made a commitment. And we've seen God be faithful for 20 years in our case of marriage. Something simple like a beanie baby or a wedding ring or a book. Anything like that that you can set up and you can say, look, I remember that God was faithful. God provided. When we have these things in our life, when we have these little altars that we can remember, it helps us 
refocus. It helps us reprioritize. It helps us, all the things that we were, uh, you know, a wedding ring, for example, if I'm thinking, okay, all the things that Christy's doing that are frustrating right now, I can think, no, it's not about that. It helps me refocus. This is a lifelong commitment. This is a love. I think of all the ways that God has been faithful, all the ways that I am blessed to have her as my wife. It helps me refocus. When I'm worried about small things and I see that beanie baby, it helps me refocus drastically. It helps me refocus to what's really important in life. This is what altars can do. We remember, we reprioritize, we refocus. So I want to ask you, do you have something like this in your life that you could have as a remembrance of what God has done? Um, Another key thing from this story in Joshua is this, that when he asked the Israelites to set up this altar, it wasn't just so that they would remember. It wasn't just so that, okay, grown-ups, set up this altar so that for a few years you can look back and remember. What were the, verse, the words in verse 6 that God said? To serve as a sign among you. And then he says these words, In future, when your children ask you what do these stones mean, you can tell them here's what it means. So God is setting this up not just so the adults can remember, but he is setting it up so that the future generations will be able to hear this story. He knows that it's not just going to be those Israelites that day, but this is going to be a generational thing. And there's going to be times when the kids who weren't there that day, when they grow up, they're going to say, what's with this pile of stones? It's going to be, Dad, why is there a purple seat from a Viking stadium hanging above the, the, alt, the mantle? And it's because then we can tell the story. The Israelites can say, you know what? You weren't here, but there was a day. We were wandering in the desert, in the wilderness, and God miraculously delivered us across the Jordan River. And that's what these stones serve to remind us of. So that your kids will come to you and say, what does this mean? Mom and Dad, why do you have this here? And you can say, this story happened before you were born, but God was faithful. We were facing this situation, and God came through miraculously. I have this in Charlie's room, because not just because it reminds me, but I want it to remind Charlie. Charlie, you don't think God has his hand on your life? Look at this. Look at this. You were this big. You don't think God has a plan for your life? I want it to serve as a reminder to my kids. Look at what God can do. Look at what God can do. And I want for generations, as long as this little guy lasts, I want them to say, what? why do you have that old purple beanie baby? Because we were in a desert, and God miraculously provided a way out for us. And God can do it again. I want our kids in this church, I want us to be filled with stories of, look at what God did here. Remember this? Remember when we as a church were facing this? I want them to have moments where they say, Yeah, this was a time where we didn't know what we were going to do, but look at that. That reminds us that God was faithful, a sign to the future generations so that they will also know that our God is good, amen, that our God is faithful, that our God is with us, and that there is nothing too difficult for him to handle. When we are reminded of God's faithfulness, when we see those altars, when those Israelites would look back at that pile of stones that they set up, when you're able to remember God's faithfulness in the past, I promise you, it makes you way more prone to be trusting of him in the future. Our, our past, looking at things that remind us of the past, when we see God's past faithfulness, that dictates how we look at the future, doesn't it? That dictates how we look at the future. It's impossible for me to remember how God came through in our family in the past and not think, of course he can do it again. 
Of course he can do it again. When we're facing something difficult, when there's a sickness, when there's an illness, whatever it is that you're facing, we look back at the past and we say, God was faithful, then of course he's going to do it again. Of course he is. He's asking me to take a step of faith. Of course I can trust him. Because look at all the times he's been faithful in the past. He never changes. Of course I can trust him. His past faithfulness helps us look at the future with faith and trust. Because he has been faithful, he will do it again. There's one final thing that I have, and not many people have seen this, and I don't know if I can hold it up with one hand with this microphone, but if you were here for our first anniversary, our first birthday party as a church, you might remember this. This is like a big slab of wood, and it's got the Homestead Community Church logo burned in there and then painted and sealed. It's a really cool, a really cool sign. This was presented from a couple of gentlemen in our church when we had our first birthday as a church, and we were meeting right out there. And I remember looking at this just thinking, this is so cool looking. And I thought, this is a really cool, and I, I had a moment then of, God, look at what you've done. Look at what you've done. All those months leading up to this, all those months before we knew we were planting a church where we were, our family was in a, a season of ministry where we didn't know really what God was up to. We felt maybe like we were wandering in the wilderness. And then this was presented to us and, uh, and as, as one year as a church. And I just remember just feeling so overwhelmed with thanks and gratitude to God. God, look at how you've been faithful. Look at how you've been faithful. So instantly what happened was Christy and I took it home and we said, well, where do we put it? Where do we put it? Should we put it up in the church somewhere? Should we set it up every Sunday? And I remember right away I thought, I want to I keep this. And when we get our own building, when we get our own building, this is going up. And this is going to be a thing that we have on display that's going to serve as an altar of remembrance. It's going to serve as an altar of remembrance for, you know what? Look at how God's provided. And it's going to be there every day when people come into our new building, wherever it is, and we believe that God's going to provide it. And we're going to see this sign, and we're going to say, look at what God did. Look at what God did. Look how faithful he is. Look how good he is, right? He is faithful. He is true. So I can't wait to display that thing and, uh, and have it just be a reminder of God's faithfulness. It's important to recognize you know, there is false worship in the, throughout Scripture, and God didn't have them set up an, an, an altar to be like an idol, like worship this pile of stones. You know, we don't, you know, we don't hold this up when we pray, you know, at home. It's like this isn't, the, this isn't what is worshipped and thanked. You know, we're not going to come into our new building and everyone's going to, you know, kiss the sign of like a sign of thanks to the sign. And that's just, especially cold and flu season, that's just not a good idea. But it's not the altar that is worshipped. This does not have any special magic powers, right? And it's easy to start thinking, oh, I have this and I have to think of this. And, and the Israelites obviously in the Old Testament had a problem with this where they would set up false idols and they would worship those things. The altars are not worshipped. The altars are not thanked. The altars serve as a reminder of our God and he is worshipped and he is thanked. It's just something that points us to God and then we come together and we just say, Lord, you have been so good you have been so good and faithful. You have been loving. You have provided miraculously. You have delivered us miraculously. Michael announced that this Friday night we're going to have a worship night here at the church, 7 o'clock on Friday night. I encourage you to come. We just wanted to take a time where we would, as a congregation, 
Just thank God. And we're going to spend some time praying for needs. And if you have something that you're facing, we want to provide an opportunity for us to pray for you because we know God is faithful. We know God has been faithful in the past, and he will provide again. But I want us to have that moment where we can recognize that and just simply offer up thanks. I want to encourage you on Sunday mornings when we sing and we worship. Have that be a time where we reprioritize, where we refocus, and we say, you have been so good And that is why I'm lifting my hands. That is why I'm singing because of your past faithfulness and because of the promise that you will do it again. Amen? So I encourage you to look back over the years and just think of certain key moments where God was faithful. Maybe you've never done that. But just take some time even this morning or this week to look back and say, God, you were there. I didn't recognize it then, but look how you provided we were so worried about this then, but look how you brought us through that. And maybe take some, set up some altars of remembrance. Maybe have some souvenirs or some tokens that you can just have as a reminder. God is faithful and true, and he will always be those things. So we've got a few minutes left, and we're going to do, I've got one more symbol, one more altar of remembrance that I want to talk about. But before I do that, it occurs to me that maybe some of you are sitting here and thinking, well, I would, sure, I'd have faith if I ever saw God do that. Sure, I'd have faith. If God would deliver me from the desert I'm in right now, well, sure, I would have faith then. Maybe you're thinking you don't have those moments where you've seen God come through. You think, well, sure, I could believe like the Israelites if I walked through a a raging river and the water stopped and I was able to walk through. That would not be hard to believe. But you're thinking, I'm in the midst of the desert right now. It's hard for me to have faith. It's hard for me to have faith. Or maybe you have never put yourself in a position where God can come through miraculously. You have lived every day just kind of safe and comfortable and managing everything, and I don't need God to come through because I got everything under control myself. I want to encourage you, step out of that comfort zone and put yourself in a position where God has to come through. Maybe you're sensing that God is asking you to take a step of faith, and the vulnerability of that haunts you and makes you worried. I want to encourage you. You never know. You never know. You're never going to experience that moment of God providing for you miraculously if you don't take that step of faith, if you don't put yourself in a position where God's got to come through. But for everyone here, and for some of you, it's, I can remember all the times that God's been faithful. And for some of you, you might be thinking, I can't think of any time that God has come through for me. For all of us, And this leads nicely into the fourth altar, the fourth symbol that I have today. We all, we all have the most amazing story of God's provision, don't we? We all have the most amazing story of God's miraculous power. Imagine those, if we could bring in some of the Israelites who were there that day crossing the Jordan River, we would say, oh man, you guys, that's so cool that you guys experienced that. We've never experienced anything like that. They would all say, really? Of course you have. Really? Of course you have. And they would say this, you, were, you are recipients of the best of God's miraculous provision. And that was the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He did that for us. And we can look back and we say, wow, yes, God provided miraculously. Yes, we all are recipients of that. And if you are here today and you have never received the mercy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, all you need to do is receive it. All you need to do is acknowledge, Jesus, yes, you died and you rose. And the Bible says if you believe that in your heart and you confess that Jesus is Lord, then you are saved. And then you have had your walk through the Jordan River moment. 
Because you have been brought from darkness to light, from death to life. You have gone through out of slavery into the promised land. You've had your beanie baby moment where you can see God. You have taken what was broken and hurt and sick and lost and sinful, and you have, bring, you have brought wholeness and life and salvation and mercy. Amen. We have all experienced this. And as God did with the Israelites after they crossed through the Jordan River, and I love this, he did that with Jesus the night before he was going to be crucified. And he set up an altar of remembrance, an important symbol that serves as a reminder to us where God once again said, I want you to have this symbol so that every time you take it, every time you see it, every time you hold it, you're going to remember what it was like to be lost and brought into new life. And of course, I'm talking about communion, and we're going to take communion together. And the scripture I want to read before we do this together is found in Luke chapter 22, verse 19. Now, this is Jesus with his disciples celebrating the Passover meal. It's called in the scripture, the Last Supper. The Last Supper, the night before Jesus was crucified. He is with his disciples, and they are sharing a meal together. And Jesus takes a moment. The disciples don't know what's coming, but Jesus knows what's coming. And he says these words in Luke chapter 22, verse 19. And he took bread, talking about Jesus, and he gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them, the disciples, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So Jesus takes what was a regular Passover meal, and he takes a piece of bread, and he takes a cup, and he says, These are now symbols for you, disciples. These are now symbols. And every time you take this meal together, I want you to remember, this is not just a meal anymore, but the symbol of the body of Christ that was broken and crucified and the blood of Jesus which was shed and spilled for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this so that you will remember. And he set that up for the disciples because he wanted them to remember this. He wanted them to remember in the future where things seemed lost, where they seemed lost, or things seemed hopeless, or they were facing difficult circumstances. Every time they would take that Passover meal, they would say, ah, but I remember now. I remember. This is all about Jesus' blood that was shed and his body that was broken. He set these up as symbols. He set these up because he knew it wasn't going to just be those 12 disciples forever, that this message was going to go all around the world. He set this up so that for generations, people would take this communion, this bread and this cup, so that they would say, I remember now. I remember what it's all about. It's the blood of Jesus that was shed. For me, it was his body that was broken. He knew in that moment when he was breaking the bread and pouring the cup, he knew that thousands of years later, there would be followers of Jesus, like us, who would need, once again, a reminder. A reminder, a symbol of remembrance of what it is all about, so that we could refocus, so that we could reprioritize, so that no matter what we are facing, God, do you love me? Are you faithful? Are you good? Are you going to help me through this? We take the communion elements, and it's not bread and wine. It's today, it's 
crackers and grape juice, and that's the elements, but they are symbols that we remember what Jesus has done. We remember that we are forgiven. If you're struggling with, I wonder if God even knows I'm here. Does he pay attention to me? Does he love me? Does he notice me? And you can hold these elements as we're going to do it in a moment, the, the bread and the cup, and you can say, of course he does. He gave everything for you. He died for you so that you would have new life. Do this in remembrance of what Jesus has done. We need reminders, don't we? We need reminders. We can get so focused on the cares of this world and what we're facing as a nation and what we're facing in our families, what we're facing health-wise or financially or relationally. We can get so lost in those moments. We need a moment where we hold a symbol in our hands and we can remember this is what has been done. Jesus loves me. He died for me. He rose again. And we are living victorious lives in faith because he has been faithful in the past. He will do it again. So if you need encouragement this morning, whatever you're facing, if you need to refocus and you've just been distracted with all the other things, if you need a reminder of God's love for you, well, here it is. This is it. We're going to take communion together as a reminder that you are loved unconditionally and that we have life and mercy and forgiveness through Jesus Christ and a relationship with God that has been secured through that sacrifice. So I want to end this sermon, the service, with a time of communion. And here's how we're going to do this. Christy's going to lead us in a couple of songs. And we've done this a couple of different ways as a church. But what we're going to do in a moment is we're going to have everyone stand. And when Christy starts singing, I just want us to start entering into worship. And we're going to sing a couple songs together. We're going to take a few moments. But when you want to come up and have communion, there's two stations here for traffic flow purposes. Let's have everyone kind of come to the middle, come up this way, and then go back to your seat on the outside just to for flow of traffic. But if you want to stand and worship for a moment, if you want to come up and take communion and take communion up here at the altar or take it back to your seat, but we're not going to do it together. Sometimes we all take the bread and the cup together. Today, I just want you to do that on your own. Come up whenever you want. Grab a cracker and a little thing of grape juice as symbols of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And then take that whenever you want. But we're going to spend a few moments worshiping and thanking God. Thanking God that he has these symbols, these altars of remembrance, that we can remember how good he has been. Let's stand together.